Oh, damn, you on the Sunday morning version of the motherfucking brain. The motherfucking brain. The motherfucking brain. Washed radio. What's up? Happy Sunday, motherfuckers! Dang, we got a whole flock of cops. We got freaking detectives over here. We got farts. We got all that shit over here on the brain Sunday. Oh, damn. You on the Sunday morning version of the motherfucking brain. The motherfucking brain, the motherfucking brain washed radio. Sunday church, baby. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 3 but The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil Psalms 27 verse 1 The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid Psalms 91 verse 1 to 2 he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Psalms 46 verse 1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalms 4 verse 8 I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Nahum 1 verse 7 The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Psalms 51 verse 22 Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Proverbs 27 verse 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Psalms 91 verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. 
Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. John 17, verse 15. I pray not thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. 2 Samuel 22, verse 31. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Proverbs 2, verse 8. Judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Revelation 7, verse 16 to 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Psalms 9, verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Proverbs 2, verse 7. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6 to 7. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Psalms 146, verse 9. The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Job chapter 1, verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. You are the Sunday morning version of the motherfucking brain. The motherfucking brain. The motherfucking brain. Washed radio. Yow, 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 yow,
respect and you shall too respect the fact that we only uh, how shall I put this in a kind way <laughs> see you know over here we you know do I even have to say it ladies and gentlemen and others and others and I don't mean those kids those minor don't nope kick them out slap them upside the head hey Kenny you're not supposed to be listening to this. Let me see your ID, boy. Damn. Didn't you know it was against the law to be listening to brainwash radio? Unless you're a certain age, kid. Damn. As long as you can consent to fucking, then you're old enough. And from what I hear out here in L.A., if a 14-year-old consents to fucking... <laughs> Then a 14-year-old must be broad-minded enough to listen to the show. Shit, if they're pounding slappy, you know what I mean? Damn. <laughs> oh, man, that's nasty. I ain't lying. <laughs> but you're not to each of their own. <laughs> Damn. Damn, snazzy. All up in your dislike. But here we go. We bury it. Entertain your buttholes with some jam on a all up in your gravy. <laughs> I, got, I got an itch on my nose, guys. Oh, fudge packing melon. I got an itch on my nose. Ah, oh, I gotta scratch it. Fuck. I gotta scratch that nostril. But first, we're gonna play some motherfucking BDSM Southern California punk rock. Fuck the law because this is church and we should be fucking the law like you does it.
You ever hear people talk about how they flip stuff, like flipping houses, flipping stocks, or even flipping items on eBay? Well, the amount of money you can make is pretty limited when it comes to that stuff because of one reason. And that one reason is you so I want to throw people in at the deep end because I didn't get the chance to talk to you on the Koki the Clown album. So I thought I would start people off there. I love um, that. I love that because that that album is. Uh, I think it. I mean, it's such a special album to me. <laughs> I know everyone here. I'm going to say hi to everyone. Hey, Rick. Blink-182's manager. Right there. <laughs> Tom DeLonge's not in the band anymore. No. He's and not on this planet he's anymore. He's not Tom DeLonge's manager anymore. Now he's yours. Remember. Before we begin... I'm pumped. Ow. I have arthritis in my pinky, so it's going to be very painful. Mike is not sharing, so I'm going to be in pain. <laughs> I'm sharing, dude. Where you been? Oh, oh, let's, let's try this. Ah. Is that just one song right there, Fatty? Shut up. I remember the lyrics. Here, who wants to sneak their friend in? You can have it. We're almost gonna hit the 45 minute mark. We're almost Okay. 
Rock smelly is. Does anybody have a snare? <laughs> you have a snare. You yeah, had to bring one to get in, I thought. You're a liar. <clears throat> Remember the last time you broke a snare? What club was it at? The milk the Kathy de Grand. When that other guy broke your snare. Oh. Guy from Reagan Youth. Yeah. If you would have tightened it, it wouldn't have broke, you said. Yep. Alright, we're gonna talk about Reagan Youth for the next 45 minutes. Anybody here for the Bouncing Souls? I invited Greg. Greg doesn't, Greg doesn't like you. And he hates me. Yeah. He didn't come. Lars didn't show up either from Rancid. So he doesn't like Mike either. No, I didn't, so. I didn't call them. You want to know who likes no effects? Avenge Sevenfold. Yeah, they are here. Yes. Avenge Sevenfold. Remember we were going to play a song together? Now we're just going to play Bandman. Bandman. Bandman? We used your band's name. To sell tickets. To get all these people here. And we're just gonna fucking get the shuttle Did you call it bandmitten? Bandmitten, that's good, see? Yeah. Okay. With the shuttle <laughs> That's really good. Uh, this, this, this could what, be a lot more awkward. Could be a lot more awkward. You could be wearing a dress and nipples. Hey, you guys, put your masks on, because we're supposed to make a... It's not a Trump rally. Did anybody bring a boat? We're trying to get a boat thing going here. We're going to sink some boats. Yeah, the reggae band, they're not going to wear their masks. Where are you guys from, San Diego? I get it. Do it, Miles. Don't fucking, don't miss this fucking guy. All right, so we don't got this uh, Bad Religion song we're going to do now. It's on the album, actually. <laughs> God damn, we have to play every song this is going to take all day. Hi, Pat. You're going to do it, happy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
filming, Pat. It's the camera, it's not me. That's an awesome phone. Yeah, you should see his drone shots. He's a really good guy. He's a good photographer, too. Our, the camera guy has a no-effects tip, too. <laughs> so do I. And you know what? He's in Hyper Crush. I have a tattoo with my, my bro, Fletcher. See this? See it? He put a Jew claw on me. Where are you from? Oh, you have one, too. He got, what happened? He got his tattoo after mine, and we used the same needle. That's Hermosa Beach. No, He's punk. That's Hep C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our drummer, uh, he has Hep C too, Fletcher, so you guys could. Oh shit, Fletcher's here? Yeah, see the big guy? I, I thought that was security. <laughs> oh. What's up, Fletcher? Don't throw Mike through the drums, all right? We need to film this. It was weird. Jim from Pennywise, the talent, he was going to come, but then I invited Fletcher, and he said, I'm not coming to Fletcher's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think, NoFX, we hate each other least than any other band. No, it's about the same. About the same. Shit, I didn't know that. I, I didn't hate you. So you hate me more than I hate you? Yeah. I love you more than you hate me. <sighs> is this that is the, the perfect amount of awkwardness. I Mike, fucking love it. Mike, is that horse from the Monopoly game? Is that one of the... It's a horse. <laughs> uh, we have the flag if, if people, if you're into being a... Uh, uh, sexual and wearing pony things. That's the flag. She's holding it right there. Oh, wow. Oh. Called Pony Pride. You're all into that, right? What is it? <sighs> how do you die? What is it? What's Pony Pride? This is, this is the last song we know how to play, kind of. Oh, I'm going to count it off. One, two, three. He spent 15 years and loaded 15 years to his liver exploded. Now it's Bob going to do now that he can't drink.
Is anybody taking stats? Because I'm 0 for 3 on playing songs correctly. Does anybody care at all? It's just the same as it was in 1988. Yeah. There was a, a lot of jazz notes on that last bass line. I wish Frank Turner was here. Things would go better. Okay, now we're going to play songs we don't know how to play. <laughs> you thought that was weird. This is going to get real weird. Uh, I know the lyrics to this song because I learned them and I know them because I know my own lyrics. I just thought it'd be cool to let Eric Melvin sing them. Yeah. So Eric Melvin's going to sing them, but I know them. And I could, I could sing this song. You don't need all that paper, Mike. Right, you know, you can get a teleprompter like Axl Rose does and be a real rock star. No, I'm, I'm Axl Nose, and it's, uh, Asshole the, the, the sun's out, the sun's out. I, the it, it wouldn't work, would not work. You had to have been up all night, and then the sun's up. I like you, because you're doing that thing with your belly. You're laughing through, you're showing it. You look like you're in the Wanderers, dude. You look like someone's father. Looks like you combed your hair with a pork chop. <laughs> we need, like, a new sign language. Not, not I mean, who, who owns this place anyway? This Bowser, guy, The owner of this property must have a lot of money. This guy's got more bread than a prison meatloaf. No, the guy who owns it uh, had a lot of money. Now it's all in property. Ooh. That's why I'm fucking whoring myself out today. Why? I'm not... Am I talking like that? Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's okay. 
fucking Charlie from Philadelphia. Hmm. All right, yay for us. That was, uh, was, was it? Hmm. This is no effects show, everybody. No effects show. No effects backyard party. We're going to do this every day until we get it right. Uh, quick word from our sponsor right here in my hand. What, what, what's the word? Uh, death, liquid death. <laughs> you said quick word from our sponsor. What's the word? Liquid death. <laughs> Do you guys have a word? Much better the second time. You want us to say? Uh, gim gimmick? Something? <laughs> I have four refrigerators in my house full of liquid death. <laughs> no food. Even a baguette. Oh shit, are we doing... Can I do it without the Joe Walsh thing at the beginning? No, do the Joe Walsh thing. Dude, show how awesome you are. Fucking Santana, motherfucker. Alright. You know Santana, Santana. Farm are you showing your tattoos right now? Farm Tana. <laughs> what key is it in? <laughs> Tech, he's got DMSO. He brought it straight from India, right, Hachi? 
bothering the pack over there, Fatty? I think we can talk shit about country fans and Indians right now and not get in trouble. Oh, right. It's only oh, shit, we are. You guys were like, no, don't, don't talk about country fans. It's not good. How's it going, Chris? How you doing back there? You talking to Fishbone? Yeah, Chris from Fishbone. Hey, DJ Quick's here too. DJ Quick, raise your hand. Hello. I grew up on yeah. your music. I just, I just heard it for the first time like three days ago. You grew, hey, Hefe, you grew up? Can I send you one of my beats? <laughs> Are you guys going to have some kind of hip-hop talk right now? Actually, holla is a Jewish term. It's, it's kind of like a bagel. <laughs> it's not a bagel, dude. It's bread. It's delicious. Yeah, but you can, salty. You can bake it and cut it and put cream cheese and locks on it. <laughs> Who would put locks on a fucking holla? A Jew? No. It's bagel. No. We're having an argument. Discussion. It's a band discussion. You ever put cream cheese and lox on a tortilla? I don't like lox. I just put. Cream. I do get hollas. I do get hollas, and I put cream cheese on them. Mm. Holla if you feel me. I'm gonna talk like this again. Oh, okay, I'm gonna tell the Chris Dowd fishbone story after this next song. Here we go. Save that for the campfire. Sock of death. Sock of death. The sock of death story. Sock of death. I was in New York and Chris. Oh, he remembered. He's got a in his tube sock. <laughs> I have a feeling there's more than one sock of death story, too. Chris used to be a fighter in New York. He put a, an eight ball in a sock just in case. And he's not talking about cocaine. He felt like beating someone up. He's not talking about cocaine. It was an eight ball from a pool. Yeah, it was an actual hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he swung it, and there was a hole in the Some sock. Some guy said something like, hey, I really like your band. And you said, what'd you say? <laughs> he said, what's this? It's the sock of death. And he started twirling it, and there was a little hole at the end of the sock. Then the ball flew out of the sock, and then he hit the guy with just the sock. <laughs> he's like, Chris's eyes got so big, he's like, oh, shit. He, he ran onto our bus, and you know, <laughs> he almost got And then he quit fishbone the next day. Most of that, most of that's true, right? All of it. Okay. Let's tell the same story again. What do you think? <clears throat> Let's go. Oh, my God. I got it. Find these lyrics. The story? Uh, they're not in order. See, see that song that's covering the song? You need a teleprompter, dude. You're getting old. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're all there. They're just kind of covering each other. Yeah, get that to Jeffra. Jeffra, hold those. Alright, hold them up. First line. No, no, is for, it, him. Is it, for him. Oh, I got it. Okay, it's got that it. song. This is gonna be great. This record doesn't have choruses. It's just stories. Confusing. I think we're doing that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can you hold that for me? We're doing that song. He just wants to. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna break dance fight with you later. <laughs> Stop paying attention to us. <laughs> going on TikTok.
Special announcement for your listening pleasure. <laughs> you love it.
that wasn't freaky enough. We about to get freaky, baby. We about to get freaky, baby, with Bobby Joey Bola.
Nuggets. Oh, you guys can check them out on SoundCloud. Go get that album. You could pay any price, 99 cents, $1, $20, $50, $5,000, don't matter. Just, you know, hook them up. They're from the Bay Area. High Five Oaktown. What's up? Standing in line 
and his feet enter softly, leaving the mark of his grave on my floor. Enter, my lord. Come from your prison. Come from your grave. For the fucking
sing, for my Lord will not stay. What shall I sing, for my Lord will not listen? Where shall I go, when my Lord is away? Whom shall I love, when the moon is arisen? Gone is my Lord, and the grave is his prison. What shall I say when my Lord comes a-calling? What shall I say when he knocks at my door? What shall I say? When his feet enter softly, leaving the mark of his grave on my floor. Enter, my Lord. Come from your prison. Come from your grave. For the fucking moon has arisen. Yeah, man.
don't do that. Don't what? Coward. Oh, You're a coward. Do you get that? Obviously not.
All right, what's up, guys? What's up? We on the show right now. We on the show broadcasting live. It's about 4 a.m. Oh, dang. 4 a.m. on the dial. You be loving it. I'm hanging out, picking my butthole in the backyard. A place where I'm about to move out. That's cool. We're going to play some, uh, 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 let's see, some... Uh, the album Lucis 1992 full album by Mortal the Christian band this is Brainwash Radio Church baby yeah
downloaded all that that data and he's like overloaded and shit no it was a different it was a different film that he was in I can't even think of it but he downloaded some memory into his head and then he got roasted it was overloaded
stamina. It lasts a long time.
want to go back to live in uh, San Francisco. I mean, I was born and raised out here, but the people that move out here destroy the place, literally. Yeah, the Hollywood scene, the Hollywood scene. It's it's not American-born people usually. It's, it's people from out of the state, out of the country. And they think they're badass because they live here. And they, you know, they're, they're jerks. So that's the mantra here now. And then whoever owns the editing they services and the media, they're the ones that are causing all the havoc, making people uh, go against each other, even though we're all freaking Americans, you know? It's sad. It's a sad, it's a sad agenda that, that the media has, and nobody can stop them because it's freedom of the press. Uh, no, I can't. I see a little bit of you. You look like you're wearing a, a what do you call it, a cloak or something. Oh yeah, I see your mouth. Yeah, I can see. Oh nice. Yeah, I have winter coats. I have uh, a North Face winter coat that's uh, 30 below 30 degree weather. Scratch. Yeah, I have it here. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I have it right here, but it looks like super big, but it's a medium size. But it's 30 below weather.
ones like like the one you see in my head
the husband's fury he will not spare in the day of vengeance jealousy is the husband's fury he will not spare in the day of vengeance jealousy is the husband's fury he will not relent jealousy is the husband's fury he will not spare in the day of vengeance jealousy is a husband's fury he will not relent yes. jealousy is a husband's fury he will not spare in the day of vengeance jealousy is a husband's fury he will not relent Jealousy is a husband's fury he will not spare in the day of vengeance Jealousy is a husband's fury he will not relent This war
Hold out my long experience Try near whom no grief can long abide My love, how full of sweet content I pass my years of banishment To me remains no place, no time My country is in every clime I can be calm and free from care On any shore since God is there He was with me then and he's with me now They can kill my body but not my soul He was with me then and he's with me now they Kill my body, but not my love. Could I be cast without or not? That were indeed a dreadful thought. But regions none remote I call, secure of finding God in all my country, Lord. Where all my longings meet My love, my love, my choice of sweet He was with me then and he's with me now He can kill my body but not my soul He was with me then and he's with me now He can kill my body but not my love Upon my journey and I go Though pierced by scorn, oppressed by pride You are always by my side No violence done can hurtful prove To souls on fire with heavenly love Though men and devils both come down My fate does not Belong to them He's with me then And he's with me now He can kill my body But not my soul He's with me then And he's with me now He can kill my body But not my love In As when I lay upon his chest All this pain is light and fleeting If only I can hear his heart beating Everlasting love I rest As when I lay upon his chest All this pain is light and fleeting My body, but not my soul. He was with me then, and he's with me now. He can kill my body, but never my love.
back to the Maranatha Global Bible Study of the Prophecies of the Book of Daniel. Joel Richardson's been taking us through Daniel 7 and 8, our last few sessions, and I'm going to jump in today and pick up on a very important text. Today, our session title, our text is Daniel 8, verses 9 through 14, but if you're looking for a title for this, it would be something along the lines of one of the most important end-time prophecies in the Bible you've probably never heard of. I believe that Daniel 8, 9 through 14 is one of the most significant eschatological prophecies in all of Scripture. We're going to dive into it today, go word by word through it. We're also making this available, this session available on YouTube. So for any of you who are not tracking with us and want to get kind of a feel for what these Maranatha Global Bible Studies are like, jump in with us. Head over to the FAI app. You can download the app and all the sessions are available on there, as well as the notes today. If you want these notes for this session, you can head over to the app and, and get the PDF version of the notes. Today, we're going to work through, we're just going to journey through this text word by word. Pardon my allergies. I'm in the Golan Heights and it's high allergy season here. Spring is in bloom and uh, we were going to shoot outside. It was a beautiful spring day today and got everything set up out there and pollen is just dominating us. So we decided to come inside and do it in one of our editing bays here. So welcome to one of our editing bays in the Golan Heights. This is where we're going to be jumping into Daniel today. So with that, Lord, we just pray for a spirit of revelation as we open up these, this key passage. And we just ask you to give wisdom and discernment and give, Lord, tender hearts as we work through these difficult, notoriously difficult passages. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already turned there, turn to Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. We're going to work our way through verses 9 through 14. But before I do that, I want to address a number of preliminary observations that I think are just helpful to lay the groundwork. Joel's done a phenomenal job of laying the context for the last chapter, Daniel 7, and giving us context for Daniel 8. And we're picking up in really a, a jugular part of Daniel chapter 8 today. And Joel, if you haven't listened to those sessions, go jump in from the beginning and, and go with us because all of this is very much interconnected. Daniel 7 through 12 is a series of encounters that Daniel Daniel had. And these encounters are, uh, there's a lot of internal logic. There's a lot of overlap and dovetailing. The main characters and themes in chapter 7 are also in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapters 10 through 12. So if you haven't, go back and listen to those. With that, number one, preliminary observation. These are things that I think are helpful for us to understand this, this text. In your notes here, Daniel 8 is one of the most significant prophetic passages in the Bible concerning specific events and dates leading up to the close of this present age. Now, anytime we're dealing with the intersection of dates and prophecy, I think it's important to exercise caution and wisdom. There's two ditches that we can slide down. One is completely delegitimizing de the issue of dates and events related to prophecy because of kooky stuff and kooky people. And so we mock it, we scoff it, we disregard it, we walk away from it. That's an error. That is an error. Just because people have abused date setting and predictions where prophecy is concerned doesn't mean that you should scoff at that which the scripture is given. The other error is to be kooky and to take and to make everything about these dates. And there's a lot of people who, you know, build careers off of 
you know, focusing on, on dates and, and predictions and uh, I would say um, sensational prophetic uh, speculation. And with that said, I think here's a helpful rubric for what how we want to approach specifically the issue of dates. We want to shout what the Bible shouts. We want to whisper what the, the Bible whispers. And we want to be silent where the Bible is silent. And the reality is that if dates were irrelevant and if, if they had no bearing and no there's no reason for them, then the Lord would not have commissioned the angel Gabriel to communicate the dates. And Jesus would not have commanded us to read and understand them, which leads to our next preliminary observation. Second is this, is that one of the verses in the passage that we're going to look at today from Daniel 8 is the singular passage that Jesus laid his eschatological teaching on in Matthew 24. He commanded us to study it and to understand it. And so, I mean, that's profound. He, Daniel is the only person that Jesus called a prophet in this way and, and took his prophecies in Matthew 24 and said, if you want to understand the end of the age, just, just study this. And he's specifically this passage. And a number, about four or five other passages connected to this one. But this passage in particular is the, the, the bottom layer, the foundation of Jesus' eschatology. And thus the eschatology of the apostles as well. This chapter, Daniel 8, is at the heart of New Testament eschatology. Which is kind of a new idea, I think. Most people, I think, that are very pro-New Testament would say, like, what, what does Daniel 8 have to do with New Testament? Well, why is it that Jesus and the apostles, this is their number one text that they quote when they're trying to explain the dynamics of the return of the Lord and the, and the events that lead up to the return of the Lord? Jesus made it the foundational statement. Paul to the Thessalonians, a text that we'll look at, this is the foundational statement. The Apostle John makes this a foundational statement. It's repeated and reiterated in the book of Revelation. It, this is a normal baseline reality, and I found that it's within uh, modern Christianity. We're not even aware of We ne No one ever reads this chapter, let alone preaches or teaches or writes books on it, except for some kooky guys. And that, I think, has even more so compounded the crisis of biblical illiteracy concerning the end of the age. The third preliminary observation is that while part of Daniel 8 touches on events from history past, the climactic passages of the chapter refer to the eschaton, or the end of the age, or the day of the Lord. The case for a historical fulfillment of Daniel 8 is hollow and incoherent incoherent so we're not really going to delve into that if you're interested in that you can there's lots of resources online about it most left-leaning liberal scholarship most uh cynical critics scholarly criticism would put daniel 8 in history past which isn't surprising but the reality is this is that jesus and paul put daniel 8 in the future so that settles it so we're not even going to really give uh, even a hearing to that argument because it's, it's totally hollow and totally incoherent on the basis that Jesus said, if you want to understand the end of the age, study Daniel. Thus, he's saying this hasn't happened in history, history past. The fourth thing that we're gonna, we want to observe or that we see is that the chapter revolves around the single most catalytic event in biblical prophecy. That is the invasion of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple that will have been recently rebuilt at the time of its future destruction. The desolation of Jerusalem and the defiling of the future temple is the most emphasized event in eschatology, in the eschatology of the prophets and the apostles, hands down. It's the number one 
catalytic event that the prophets and the apostles set forth as the catalytic event, the chain reaction goes forth from there. The centrality and the gravity of this event needs to be understood. It's also critical for a proper understanding of the passage, considering that in Daniel's generation, get this, in Daniel's generation, the temple had just been destroyed and wasn't yet rebuilt. So here's Daniel, think about it, in exile, having just lived through the destruction of the temple, and now he's getting an encounter, an angelic visitation concerning the destruction of the temple, which would then make you go, okay, was this, Lord, was this about the times past? Which is why the angels would then clarify and say, no, 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 this is about the time of the end, Daniel. Thus, wanting to clarify that this is not about future ju past judgment, it's about future season of debacle and tension related to the geopolitics of Jerusalem. Which raises the question then, if it's a future rebuilt temple and a future destruction of that future rebuilt temple, is it referring to the second temple of Jesus's day, which was destroyed in 70 AD, or is it referring to a yet even future temple? We'll talk about that more as we get going. But this will be a key issue to settle in order to receive and to understand what Daniel was shown and why Daniel was shown what he was shown. Our fifth observation point that's important to understand is that Daniel contains events that are cross-referenced by the prophets and the apostles that bear the same language. So to get the fuller picture of what Daniel sees in verses 9 through 14, we need to familiarize ourselves with a number of passages. Most notably, and you'll want to write these down or get these in the notes and go read them later. Some of them we're going to go through today. Revelation 12, 7 through 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Daniel 12, 1 through 7. Matthew 24, 15 through 31. And Revelation 13. There's more, but these are the main ones that I think you need to understand to tie together with Daniel 8. That's the same language, same events, same order, sequence of things that, that we need to understand. So with that, well, let's look at the outline here. I just broke these, the, these verses, 9 through 14, up into four different headers. Number one is verse 9, the rise of the little horn. That's what we're going to look at first. Then, verse 10, we see what we, we understand that there's coming a casting down and a trampling of what we'll get to shortly when we get into the text. But suffice it to say this, it's about casting something down and trampling that which was cast down. Verses 11 and 12 speaks of the transgression, the army, and the sacrifices. So we're going to learn about a transgression, an abominable event. We're going to read about a specific army that emerges in those days and the issue of the sacrifices in the temple. And then in verses 13 through 14, we're going to read about a period of time, specifically 2,300 days of trouble. So that's our outline that we're working through. Now we're just going to work our way through it. So look down at verse 9. This is where we're going to begin. Excuse my allergies. Verse 9, the rise of the little horn. This is what we're going to look at first. One of, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the north, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, Israel. Now, Joel's laid the context for this already. I'm not going to go into it. Some of this, Joel and I are going to mow over the same grass from different directions, so you're going to hear things that are uh, have already been addressed, but it's, it's, it's I think it's important, and 
essential that we mow over the grass multiple ways to, to rightly to rightly understand it. So if you haven't, go listen to Joel's session on Daniel 8 that sets the context for what leads up to this moment when this little horn emerges. A little horn. Let's take that phrase first. This speaks of this apocalyptic political leader that's going to emerge in the generation of the Lord's return, that he's going to start out with a... Uh, a degree of authority as a regional leader, but that authority is going to uh, turn into something much more dramatic. The, the equivalent here is, you know, Adolf Hitler is, you know, not really taken seriously. And then, you know, he's a little horn. He's a he's a nobody. He was, uh, you know, the little corporal, they called him. And they mocked him. No one took him seriously. And then he, you know, the first time he runs for chancellor, I believe he got 20% of the vote not taken seriously then he wins the vote and very quickly he goes from you know germany being a democracy to a full-blown dictatorship between you know january and march of the year of the elections and then everything begins to unravel and the, we see a parallel there with adolf hitler and the little horn now concerning this issue of the little horn it's it's worth pointing out here a theory and then why the theory uh, shouldn't be taken seriously, and then we're going to move on from it. The theory is that this little horn refers to not the future Antichrist of the last generation, but he refers to a historical figure named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Syrian leader who emerged in a few generations before the birth of Jesus, who carried out a absolutely brutal campaign uh, targeting the Jewish people, targeting the city of Jerusalem, uh, defiled the sanctuary. If a lot of the stuff fits, you go, okay, he's a, you know, he's a persecuting leader. He, you know, invaded Jerusalem. He defiled the sanctuary. It makes sense. There's a couple problems with this, and then we're going to lay this to rest. Problem number one: Antiochus Epiphanes was not a little horn. He just was not. When you look at the the way that he emerged and the way that the scripture describes this man emerging. It's not the same man. He's not a little horn. He didn't emerge out of obscurity into nothing. Especially when we get to Daniel 11, which we'll get to in subsequent sessions, we see that this is not Antiochus Epiphanes because he, nothing in his career matches up. Now, a lot of, for example, the 2,300 days, there just simply was nothing in his life, that nothing significant happened. There's nothing that matches up where you can go, oh, this is that. And commentators try, but it's, it's actually embarrassing when you look at it because you go, Guys, come on, you're like, that doesn't even, you're having to do so much twisting to make it fit. He's not a little horn. Yes, he was a political leader. Yes, he invaded Jerusalem. Yes, he defiled the sanctuary. But it's not this. That, that's a problem. The second problem, which is the big, big one, is that Jesus said all of these events are yet future. After, about 170, about 200 years after Antiochus Epiphanes carried out his campaign, Jesus says it's yet future. So if you, anyone who disagree, anyone who believes that Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled Daniel 8, Jesus disagrees with you. So does Paul. Paul quotes this in 2 Thessalonians and says, this is about the return of the Lord. It's yet future. That day has not come yet. So you're going up against Jesus and Paul. So from my perspective, it's not even worth engaging in that debate because you're basically just debating with Jesus and Paul at that point. And I'm just not comfortable doing that. Let the scholars who are comfortable doing that, let them do that. But we're just going to keep it simple and, and take Jesus at his word and, and move on. So in the notes here, you can see some more details about this. But the emergence of the little horn is the rise of the Antichrist in verse 9. It's not the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. It's the rise of the Antichrist. <laughs> Look at this phrase, grew exceedingly great. 
he grew exceedingly great. Every phrase, there's, it's such minimalism. It's only five verses, but there's so much in every one of these phrases, which is why we're going to go through it phrase by phrase. Out of one of the kingdoms that was divided comes forth a little horn. That little horn grew exceedingly great. This growth of power and influence and might is, it cannot be exaggerated, just how crushing this will be the equivalent again going back to hitler the nazi blitzkrieg when the nations are just collapsing before them as they're rushing against these nations the blitzkrieg of the little horn is going to be staggering to watch how much land and how much territory and how much influence and resources he's going to pull into his influence and how quickly he's going to do it which is one of the reasons why he's such a significant event in and of himself and why he is and why he constitutes one of the primary and paramount signs of the end of the age. The south refers to Egypt, which we see in Daniel chapter 11, other passages. He has great venom, great rage against Egypt. There's a big clash between the Egyptians and the Antichrist. We'll get to that later. And it says to the east, so this would be Iraq, Iran area. So the Middle East, let's call it the Middle East, and the glorious land of Israel. So Egypt, Assyria, ancient Assyria, land of ancient Assyria, and the land of Israel is the theater of his emergence and his great anger and hatred. This is very significant because there are theories, and Joel has touched on this and we'll touch on this more. You know, one of the pop cultural theories is that the, the uh, Antichrist would come from a revived Roman Empire. That's not what Daniel says. He says he's emerging from a Middle Eastern empire and he's clashing with Middle Eastern nations. That's a very significant reality because today, most of the territories of all of these empires, if not all of them, are Islamic territories, Islamic regions of the earth. So we can see the emergence of a little horn coming from an Islamic area of the earth and then clashing with an Islamic area of the earth. So let's move on to the next section, verse 10. So, so far, it's simple. A little horn emerges. He it grows exceed, with great, great exceeding power, and then he rushes to different areas of the Middle East, focusing on the glorious land in particular. Verse 10. This refers to, we're going to, once we get into this, you're going to see that this, there's a phrase. Actually, let's just, let's just read it, and then we'll get into it. Verse 10. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host... And some of the stars, it threw it down to the ground and trampled on them. Now, this is one of the most uh, confusing and bizarre passages in Scripture that's kind of befuddled commentators and scholars for a very long time. And any commentary in the book of Daniel struggles with this verse. And many of them will even admit, we don't really know, have a clue what this means. It, it, it's fuzzy, it's hazy, we don't understand it. I believe it is clear what it's saying, and by comparing with a number of other scriptures, we'll look at it in a moment. But before we do that, I want to note that there, the, this phrase trampled or cast down, there's four things in Daniel 8, 9 through 14 that are trampled upon and cast down in this passage within these five verses. Number one, it, it, verse 12, it says the truth is cast down and trampled on. Truth is cast down and trampled on. The second thing is the host. The host is cast down and trampled on. What is the host? We'll talk about it in a minute. The third thing is the stars. The stars are cast down and trampled on. What does that mean, the host and the stars? 
Again, I think it's pretty simple when we look at it here in a moment, but I'm, I'm just going through the list so that you can see just how much of a, a, a trend and a reality this is in the generation of the Lord's return that casting things down and trampling upon them will be the MO of the final Antichrist beast empire and of this individual. Casting down and trampling the truth, the host, the stars, and the fourth thing is the sanctuary. The sanctuary is going to trample the sanctuary, defile the sanctuary, trod upon the holy city of Jerusalem. So that said, if you're tracking with the notes, we're now on the third page, top of the third page. Let's talk about this phrase, it grew up. Okay, The little horn will grow up to the host of heaven. Now, some see this as, you know, setting off a sort of heavenly chain reaction sort of thing that happens in the heavenly. So I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I think it's it's become clouded with traditional theology that wasn't quite rooted in uh, proper contextualization of other passages. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. Let's Let's look at Revelation chapter 12, specifically verse 7. Actually, let's do this. Let's do this. Turn to Daniel chapter 12. This is going to kind of be a quick bounce around, but turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to compare a couple passages, and then I want you to, we'll go back to Daniel chapter 8 and look at these passages. Look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is the charge of your people, Daniel. So Michael will stand up at this appointed time. The prince who has charge over your people, the Jewish people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The stars forever and ever. This is significant. Look at over at verse 33 in chapter 11. Okay? Chapter 11, verse 32. This is right after the abomination of desolation is set up. The wise among the people, the masculine, those who understand or have revelation, the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So the wise who are being plundered and trodden down or trampled down or cast down and persecuted and, and violated in these days are going to be refined until the time of the end. That's chapter 11. Chapter 12 says that they're going to be like the stars in the heavens and they're going to shine bright like this firmament, bright like the stars in the heaven. Now flip over to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. 
Okay, so now we're looking at cross-referencing language. Michael stands up in, in Daniel chapter 12 to defend the Jewish people during a time of great trouble. In chapter 12 of Revelation, we see war breaks out in heaven and Michael and his angels fight against the dragon. We have to see these two events as being connected. You have to. The only mentions of Michael in the scriptures standing up is this eschatological reality in the time of trouble when the great war breaks out. So what we're looking at here is the great tribulation of Daniel chapter 12 is the great war of Revelation chapter 12. It goes on to say this, The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, thrown down that ancient serpent who's called the devil and satan the deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down cast down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him and i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation the power and the kingdom the authority of our christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even unto death. Look at this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So we have a short time of wrath. We have Michael standing up. We have the that we have Satan being cast down out of heaven, out of his sanctuary, out of his abode in the heavenly places, being cast to the earth, knowing his time is short. So look at the order of events here. We have at the time of the little horn emerging, we have a casting down of truth, a casting down of the saints. We have the standing up of angel Michael, we have the defense of the Jewish people, and we have many falling by plunder in captivity in those days. Now we could go to Revelation 13, we could go to Daniel chapter 7, and we could look at the same thing, that it's granted unto the beast to overcome or to wear down or to crush the saints during that time. So these are the main themes that we're looking at in all these different passages. Now why is this important? One of the reasons why this is important is because it gives context for who and what is actually being cast down and thrown down in these texts here. The little horn grew up, verse 10, to the host of heaven. This is going to be incredible, the rise of this man. And it, it, the little horn, is the one who casts, is the caster. Cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. So this, the, the Antichrist is casting down hosts and stars and trampling them. Now, some people have connected this to Revelation 12 and said, well, see, look, the devil, when he's cast down, his angels are cast down with him. I don't actually think that the casting of the stars or the host in Daniel 8 is the casting down of 
Satan and his angels in Revelation 12. I actually think it's the casting down and the trampling upon the saints who will shine like the stars of heaven. When you compare Daniel chapter 12 and Daniel 11 to Daniel 8, we're, we're seeing that the, the people who are described as stars are the saints who are being trod under the foot of the Antichrist, who are being decimated, which makes a lot of sense then why in Revelation 12, when this great war breaks out, those when the war breaks out, what happens? Satan is cast out of heaven. He's cast out of his sanctuary. And that's the very thing that we read in these passages here, which we're going to see when we get to verse 11 and 12. We see the exact same description. We see the, the casting out of the sanctuary. It's a, a very interesting language. We'll get to it in a minute here. Now, some people see these the casting of the stars and see they understand them as the casting out of angels but if it's angels it doesn't make any sense because why how would you cast angels and then trample angels it doesn't really make sense especially when we consider the fact that the trampling is one of the prelim is one of the main signs throughout the book of uh, of daniel and revelation is the saints being trampled the saints being crushed the saints being persecuted which is why if that's one of the main prophetic themes in the book of Daniel, it makes sense then why in his great rise to power, why he would cast the saints down and trample upon them. Let's look at the next verse in our next section, the transgression, the army, and the sacrifices. These are the three main themes of verses 11 and 12. We're going to see the transgression, we're going to see the army, and then we're going to see the, the sanctuary, the sacrifices brought to a screeching halt verse 11 he even exalted himself okay so we have the rise in verse 9 and number 10 we have the casting out and the trampling down those are the things we've seen so far antichrist rises antichrist casts down and tramples underfoot the host and the stars as he rises up to the host of heaven now the host of heaven is a very very significant statement because this is referring to the Lord of hosts himself. This is a rise in power that it's, it's, he's rising up even to the Lord himself, meaning the affront, the open conflict between the Antichrist, who will be the counterpart of Messiah himself in a demonic counterpart sense, in a demonic incarnation sense. This will become clear as we move through the rest of the chapter as well, and we compare this with second thessalonians in the book of revelation that at this moment when this transgression this abomination of desolation is set up something significant cracks open in the spirit and in the natural a great war breaks out in heaven revelation 12 the great tribulation begins in daniel chapter 12 we see the saints are cast down and trampled upon we also see something else emerging look at the next verse verse 11 he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. The prince of the host. This is Jesus. Now the other verse says, look, in verse 10, the little horn grew up to the host of heaven. It grew up to the host of heaven. This is why people see the host of heaven as potentially angelic. But it doesn't make sense when the host of heaven is in the stars trampled to the ground. Trample. How do you trample angels? 
It doesn't make sense. Verse 10, I understand, I, I understand verse 10 to be the casting down of the saints, the trampling of the saints. And in verse 11, as he's doing that, he's rising up in confrontation with the prince of the hosts, of the, the, the Lord of hosts. And by him, this is important, by him the daily sacrifices are taken away. The daily sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem are taken away when he rises and when he casts the saints down and treads upon them. And when he rises in open confrontation with the Lord of hosts himself. Guys, this is a massively important prophecy that tells you a lot about the dynamics of the generation of the Lord's return. The Antichrist will cast the saints down and will rise up to openly confront the Lord. The next thing we see is this. The sacrifices are brought to an end when he rises up. And remember, as he rises, Michael rises. So now you have open conflict between Satan being manifested in the life of this vile man, the little horn, the man of sin. You also have Michael standing up and you have Jesus beginning to loose the judgment events of the book of Revelation as all of this is unfolding. But this is the pivotal moment, guys, when everything barrels forward, which is why Jesus would say in Matthew 24, verse 15, let the reader understand when you see the abomination of desolation, which we're going to see in a moment, flee Jerusalem, because all of the events are now going to begin to unfold. This is the singular event that the prophets and the apostles declared to be the linchpin, the hinge of history that will set everything in motion. Because, sorry, not, not because yet, we'll get to that in a second. By him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, who is his? That will define what sanctuary means. The place of his sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary of the man of sin... This is, there's a, there's a mystery going on here. There's a profound mystery going on here. Because the man of sin will be the demonic incarnation of Satan himself who is being cast out of heaven at this moment that initiates the tribulation. The beast, the little horn, the man of sin, the antichrist is the demonic incarnation of the mystery of iniquity. This was not just some evil man. This is going to be a mystery. Comparable to the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God himself. He's the promised seed, right? Well, there's also a demonic promised seed coming. There is a counterpart here. And this man is the promised counterpart. And what we're seeing here is he's being cast out of his sanctuary, which is the same thing we see in Revelation chapter 12. Now, this is going to become very important once we get to 2 Thessalonians. Because what we see is what someone is restraining, he who restrains, until he who restrains is taken out of the way, that day cannot come. Who is restraining the revealing of the Antichrist? Who is restraining the revealing of the Antichrist? We'll get to that in a moment. But we can see this now in the preliminary lead up to it. The man of sin takes the sacrifices away. As he's cast down out of his sanctuary. Look at the causative events. He rises 
and he's cast out of his sanctuary and the sacrifices are brought to a screeching halt. Which means then, guys, that the temple was... We'll be right back, guys.